Let's pray together before we jump in and ask God's help for us today. Father, we come into your throne room of grace asking you for mercy and help in our time of need. And we're blown away by the fact that in your word you told us we could come with great confidence, with boldness uh, into your throne room and that you will give grace and mercy. And so we ask you for that today. We ask you that you would meet us in your word and Holy Spirit, that you would have freedom in this room to change our minds, convict our hearts, and to see things the way that you see them. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, I want to do a couple things today that I mentioned already. Real quick, if you missed it though, the addresses for city groups are on the sheets back there and uh, you want to grab those so that you know where you are headed uh, starting tonight. So I'm excited about that. But um, let, let's jump right into uh, the heaviest of topics um, and let's talk about Charlottesville. One of, there's, there's a whole host of things that we could talk about and uh, we obviously can't do all of that today. But uh, what we can do is uh, call things what they are and ask God to change our minds and change our hearts. And so um, as I have been kind of thinking through where our culture is at, what things are being put on the news, what uh, is happening on our social media feeds, um, I was struck by something that hopefully you are not, um, let's call it spiritual immaturity. Can I, can I be that? Can I be that forward with you as your pastor? Um, one of the things that bothers me is when the church of Jesus Christ redeemed by the Holy Spirit, hears some of our brothers and sisters crying out, asking for help, asking for the church to step in and do what the church is supposed to do. Um, And we want to talk about their issue, but then also talk about their reaction. And what I mean by that is, I've shared this before, but if if you have throat cancer and I come to see you at the hospital and say, man, I'm really sorry you have throat cancer, but did you know that all down this hallway, that guy's got a knee being operated on and that guy's got uh, brain cancer and that guy's got, and just told you everything in the hospital. Would that be appropriate for you at the time? No, it wouldn't. Okay, and so what I'm saying to you is we can look our brothers and sisters in Christ in the eye who are being oppressed in this country and just weep with those who weep and seek justice for those who need it. And what that doesn't mean is that we don't recognize that there are other things happening in the world that God needs to make right. But... All throughout the Bible, everywhere, God's heart is for justice. And God's heart 
is for the oppressed. And we have to be. It's not optional. What happened in Charlottesville and what has happened around our country for the past few years, um, racism of any kind is evil. White supremacy is evil. And I, just, I want you to hear me like crystal clear on that. It's evil and it's of the devil. You cannot read the scriptures and find a portrait of the church or a portrait of heaven that is different than every tribe, every tongue, every nation worshiping together as one body in the spirit before the throne of grace. There's no other picture. We're taught by Jesus to pray that, God, you would bring your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And in Revelation 7, we're given the picture of what worship in heaven looks like. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation on their face before God because the Lamb is the one who is worthy to take the scroll and open it and see the names in the book of life. And he's the one who gave his life for everybody. And so I I just want you to hear from this platform that uh, we are for all of God's people. And, and I want to give you a verse to, to think about. Um, just several in Amos chapter 5. If you have time this week, you do have time this week. Not if, you do have time. Just read the book of Amos. Because God goes to a bunch of different countries and their leaders and then comes to Israel, his people, and just decries and calls evil their lack of attention to justice. Okay, but I want to take you to the end. And uh, he's talking to Israel. He's talking to his people, us, God's people. And here, here are some of the things that he says. In verse 4, he says, For the Lord says to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Drop down to verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph. It will consume everything with no one at Bethel to extinguish it. And here's why. Verse 7, Those who turn justice into wormwood also throw righteousness to the ground. Go down to verse 9. He brings destruction on the strong and it falls on the fortress. Here's verse 10. This is God's heart speaking. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate and they despise the one who speaks with integrity. Is that not our culture? Is that not a description of what... But here's the problem. That's describing some of the Christians in our country. That a group of our brothers and sisters would would call out for justice and regardless of whether they respond poorly or not or do that poorly, we still need to hear their cry because God hears their cry. So what is God's desire. Listen to verse 24, and I would encourage you to memorize this this week. And just as you're watching the news, as you're on Twitter, as you're on Instagram, that this would just be the thought process, that your gut reaction, your instincts would be this, and not whatever uh, you think is in your mind that makes sense. Okay, Because we know that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So you can't trust your thoughts all the time. 
You can trust God's though. Here, here's what he says, Amos 5, 24, and I want you to memorize this this week. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. That's God's heart. That's God's heart. Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Another biblical concept is that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you have no idea what you're talking about, don't speak. Right? Um, that That's not just a kid problem. I mean, my kids, they say some dumb stuff, right? It's just like, it's unbelievable. You're like, I'm not... Ah, no. But here's the reality. We do the same thing. It just sounds a little more sophisticated. Let's be quick to listen, like James taught us with me. And uh, he was a prime uh, leader in the civil rights movement, and uh, right at the same time period as Dr. King was. And he just released a book last year, and it's uh, it's awesome. And it will just walk you through in a grace-filled way, a Holy Spirit, God-honoring way, uh, what the issues are and uh, also what you can do to be a part of it. And it's it's a really good read, uh, well worth your time. And uh, if you can't afford it, I've got it. You can borrow it. I would love to put that in your hands. And uh, then there's some some other ones that will take you deeper into it. If you want, I can uh, pass those along to you as well. But um, let's do this. Let's take a minute and pray. And ask God to help Redeemer City Church be the hands and feet of Jesus. See, we talk about that a lot, but uh, it's not good enough to tweet about it. We've got to do it. We've got to build relationships. And so uh, let, let's ask God to do that, and then we're going to dive into a brand new series today, and it's, uh, this one's going to help you. So let's pray. Father, we again come into your presence, grateful for the opportunity to even be in your presence. We thank Jesus for that. But Lord, as we witness in this country and around the world uh, great turmoil, and unfortunately even turmoil in your church over issues of justice, we're reminded that your heart in this matter is that justice would flow like water and righteousness like the streams in a river. That it would be unstoppable like the water that flows that it would just roll over every part of our mind and our thinking and our heart, that we would weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, and seek to correct what is broken and to help those who are broken. And so, Father, we know that that's happening right here around us. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see, eyes to look up and see the fields that are ready for harvest that we would be uh, people of the kingdom on mission for you, that we wouldn't be selfish, that we wouldn't look to be comfortable because you're not always after comfortable, but that we would enter into the story of those around us so that we could have compassion as you did when you looked on the crowds and were moved with compassion. pray that we'd be the heart of this church and all of it would be for your glory and not for ours. And uh, we love you in your precious name. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, you go to Luke chapter 6. All right. You can turn it on. uh, Let the warm glow of God's word filter across your face. 
If you're a real Christian like me, you can turn your pages. Some of you don't know me well enough. I shouldn't be so forward. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just a, I'm a book guy. I'm a book guy. And uh, if you're a note taker, uh, there's some sheets on the back. There's some journals. If you are new here, you can have one. Or you can get on the YouVersion Bible app, go under events, and uh, you'll see ours right at the top. It'll have the scriptures there place for you to take notes and kind of save those in your account online. But um, we are kicking off a new series called Parables. One of the things that is important for you to understand about parables is that when Jesus originally told them it was to hide the truth. I think we get that confused sometimes, that uh, Jesus would tell the parable and the people wouldn't know what it meant. And then they would go behind closed doors and the disciples would say, hey, can you tell us what that meant? <laughs> and Jesus would tell them. And uh, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But when we come to parables, uh, we're given the understanding of it as the people of God. And so uh, if you are not a Christian today, let these stories uh, draw you in to the story of God to ask the question, what is God saying to me? Why is God drawing me? Why am I here? But for those of us who are Christians, uh, these are important for us to wrap our head around because what they do is they take the kingdom of God and they give you an insight into it. They allow you to sort of pull back the curtain briefly and see what God is doing in bringing his kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And so that's really important. But like the disciples... We often, in the Bible, find ourselves confused. Have you ever been confused? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying. All right? We've all been confused. We, we know what confusion can be. But here's the interesting thing about confusion. Confusion can manifest itself in a lot of different ways, can it? You can be confused and it's funny. You can be confused and it's embarrassing. You can be confused and it's... Um, can even be deadly. And so wherever that finds itself, uh, when we come to this story right here, um, I think personally that the church is confused. Now, I don't make those big, broad statements a lot because most of the time I'm confused. You yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eyes. Just get a mental picture of that. I think Jesus was very sarcastic. And I'm just trying to be like him. This next word's for me. Hypocrite! First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter in your brother's eye. We have all heard those. And even if you are not a Christian today, you have heard, judge not. Judge not. Here's the problem, though, is there are other verses that we don't have time to go to that tell you to judge. And they say, by your fruit, you will know them. One of my jobs as a pastor and for the other elders of this church is that we would take people who are false prophets and judge them and put them out of the church. So what is Jesus trying to say here? When you're confused, it's important that you don't just silo into that verse, but you interpret it in the big picture of the whole Bible. And so we want to do that today. But I want you to think about something here, because when I was reading this at first, there, there's a natural progression for you and I 
uh, from that feels good to I don't really like this. Because in verse 37 and 38, we're, we're saying, great sermon, Jesus. Keep that one going. If I don't judge people, which for, for us in our mind is like, well, I don't have to be confrontational. Who doesn't like that? That's amazing. Don't judge. Don't condemn. It's all good, bro. It's all good. You can come to my church because we're not going to judge you. All right? And then they get here and they're like, why is that guy so angry? All right? And you're like, dude, dude, don't judge. Right? And it's like we're all hippies all of a sudden. Okay? But that's not what he's saying. See, we come to something like that and we go, and we go wow, like, for the measure I use, it will be used. And... and Press down. Like, like get, the, get the picture there of what God's talking about. If you take a cup and uh, dig it through dirt, is that, when you come up, even though the cup's full, is that the most dirt you can get in the cup? Not a trick question. No, it's not. All right? Because if you kind of shake it a little bit, it'll, it'll kind of filter down. And then if you take, like, like, a good espresso tamper and you just start putting, that's just the way I think, people. And uh, you start pushing that down. What are you doing? You're getting more in there. And then you can scoop more dirt and you can press it down, press it down and shake it and press it down and get more and more and more. And then God says, till it overflows into your lap. Okay, we've all done that. McDonald's gets sued for it every now and then. Somebody takes a hot coffee that has giant words, hot coffee, beverage is hot. And they go, and then they start putting cream in it and then, whoosh, ah! and they're like, I'm suing. All right? And it's like, no, that was your fault. That's the picture God's giving you. That whatever measure you use in judging people is the measure that you are going to get back. So if you are super judgmental, guess what people are going to be to you? Super judgmental. If you are super kind, people tend to be super kind. Jesus is teaching you a very simple principle, but we like that one. We like that one. But, but as you go into verse 39 and 40, it kind of gets annoying. It kind of gets annoying because you move out of this incredible promise that if, that if I can just turn that corner, if I can just round the corner in my relationships where I'm just, even though that person's horrible, if I can just not be horrible, God's going to give me a tremendous blessing, and that's true. But when you keep going into verse 39 and 40, he tells a parable about the blind leading the blind. And what's the problem with that? Is that the person in front of you, like you, is blind. And the blind cannot lead the blind, so there has to be something bigger happening here. And then by the time you get to verse 41 and 42, it's just, it's just we don't like it. Because what's actually happening here is... Uh, Jesus says, before you go help somebody else, you better straighten yourself out. So we've moved from judge not to, you should judge, but before you judge, you better figure out what's sticking out of your own eye. And I love the, I love the, the symbols that Jesus uses because it's like you have a beam of wood. Just picture that, right? beam of wood coming out of your eye and the other person has a toothpick and God says that's what your Christian life is like and let, let's just be honest with each other what, what are we really good at looking down on other people we just are you, like 
you and I, we do not have to spend a whole lot of time with each other before we get like annoyed by something. Is that true? Nod your head. It, it's just true. And no matter how hard we don't want it to be true, it's true. We find people annoying. And other people find us annoying. Some of you are laughing and pointing at your neighbor. That's not okay in church. Don't be a hypocrite. So the question we have to ask is, why does Jesus choose to string these three things together? Because they almost seem like three different sermons, don't they? They almost seem like three different sermons. Like, like the first one is about, like, um, don't judge people, don't condemn people. And then the second one's about, like, giving your money. Like, if you give your money, God's going to pour it back into your lap. And while both of those things are true, they're not separated. And then as you go into the next one and the, follow- and the last one, where it talks about being a hypocrite, there, there is a thread running through all of them. So the question is, why? Why does Jesus want us to think about these specific issues together? What is the point that Jesus is after? And what I want to point out to you today is that the thread that's running through these is the principle of generosity. What does it mean to be generous? Why is being generous so critically important? Here's what generous means, to give more than expected. To give more than expected. Think about that. To give more than expected expected. Everything Jesus is saying here is asking more of you than what is expected. Because what he starts with is he says, judge not, condemn not, and you will not be judged and you will not be condemned. And if he had stopped there, it's probably something that you could handle. But God always takes it, mark it down, it he always takes it a step beyond what you are able to handle. He says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Because the blind cannot lead the blind. If you only do what you and the other person are capable of doing, look at your marriage if you're married. Look at your boyfriend or girlfriend if you have one or ever have. It's... it's There's no possible way for the blind to lead the blind. There has to be something outside of me that speaks into me. It's the only way it works. Why is Jesus telling this parable of the blind person in the middle of all this? It doesn't make sense. It's confusing, isn't it? He's talking about judging people. He's talking about giving and having it measured back to you. And after that, he goes back to this relational principle. But in the middle, he says the blind can't lead the blind. What is he talking about? If you had been standing there with Jesus and he was at waxing eloquent about your relationships and then in the middle of it just went the blind cannot lead the blind, you'd have been like the disciple. And you'd be like, what? What is he getting after? That you and I need something else to help us understand how to live a generous life. A generous life. To give to the other person more than is expected. You see, that's a shift in our thinking that if we will do that, God will do more through us than we could ever ask or imagine. He promises to. In all of the scriptures, he promises to over and over. First Corinthians one i I'll use the weak to shame the strong. Later on in Ephesians, he says, 
whatever you ask, I can do. Whatever you can imagine, I can do immeasurably more than that. And then we don't see those results and we want to know why. Because it's the blind leading the blind. It has to come from outside of us and go through us. And, and a huge part of church life that's a problem right now in America is we're, we're saying to each other that you've got it in you. You can do it. And you can't. And we all have the same experience where we come at it and we come at it and we come at it. And at the end of the day, it's like we're blind. I can't do the thing that I'm called to do. Because, because in this text, here's the progression. Don't judge. Forgive. Give and you'll get. Listen to your teacher. You're not as smart as you think you are. And by the way, don't be a hypocrite. And we all go, I'm out. I can't do any of that. Just, just look at yesterday, your Saturday. Even if you had an awesome Saturday, chances are at some point you did something wrong. A wrong thought, a wrong word, a wrong action. And by the way, it's not just what you do that's wrong. It's what you choose not to do that can be wrong. Did you read your Bible yesterday? Did you spend time talking with the Lord yesterday? Oh, well, now this has become a problem for me. Because the blind can't lead the blind. And so we're asking this, what does it mean to give more than expected? Because what Jesus is teaching here is that the generous life is the good life. We're all looking for the good life. We're all looking for our life to be a little bit better. I hear parents say all the time, I just want to give my son or my daughter a better life than I had. We hear that phrase all the time. But Jesus comes to you and says, the blind can't lead the blind because if you just try to do what the world tells you is a good life, you're going to end up empty. You're going to end up not being able to see what you have wanted to see all along. The blind can't lead the blind, so we have to look to something else. And Jesus teaches us here to be generous. Here's the problem. Some of you don't actually believe me. Some of you don't actually believe Jesus because there's still some unbelief in your heart that if I actually let go of my finances, if I actually let go of control of my children, if I actually let go of my future, if I actually let go of my children and stop controlling them, we just find it hard to believe that God is working on our behalf. See, we know what Jeremiah 29.11 says, but it's so hard to live Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to bring you harm. And we know that intellectually, but has that made it from your head to your heart is the question. Because what Jesus is saying is the blind can't lead the blind. What you think you can see down the road does not compare to what God can see coming down the road. And it manifests itself in millions of ways. It really does. If you're facing a financial hardship, it's hard to see why being a giver is going to help you at all. Why being generous to somebody is going to help you at all. It's hard to see if you've been wronged, why going back to that person and treating them right. Not just not treating them wrong back, going back to them. See, to be generous means that if, I'm a, if I get offended, I don't just not react, but I go back and I do something positive. 
You see, because that, that's where the blind tries to lead the blind and say, well, you, you just do you. You just take care of you. And God's actually saying, and he says just earlier in chapter 6, love your enemies. Do good to them that hurt you. And suddenly things are, are turned upside down. To give more than expected, wherever you are. And so Jesus teaches us to be generous. And what's incredibly important for us to see is that all of them are relational. In every day in your relationships, you have choices to make about how you're going to treat people. And when you look around our world and you see things like Charlottesville happening, there's a breakdown in our life of generosity. And it's born out of not understanding the gospel. You see, because when you know how much you've been forgiven, it makes it easier to forgive. When you know how much you've been blessed, it makes it easier to bless. When you know how much God has given to you financially, it makes it easier to give. And for every one of us, that's different. But the principle remains the same. The Bible is very clear about that, that the widow's might, she came to the temple and gave her penny. And Jesus said, she's done far more for the kingdom of God than the guy who walked in boasting with his thousands of dollars. Because it's about your heart. It's about a generous life. And so Jesus brings this up because we're prone to think we're better than other people. Think about the people he was talking to. Even the disciples, right? They, you know, not only did they not ask Jesus, I, I love the story where, it, where the two, two disciples, James and John, come and ask Jesus to uh, allow them to sit on his right hand and left hand in the kingdom of God. And uh, Jesus says, do you even know what you're asking? And they're like, we do. We do. But here's the detail of that story that makes it even funnier. They sent their mom. They sent their mom to ask him. Scripture literally says that their mom comes up to Jesus and says, just do one thing for me, Lord. <laughs> like I'm not about to. Just do one thing for me, Lord. Allow my sons to sit, one on your right hand, and one on your left hand in glory. And how do I know that they sent their mom to do that instead of just doing it themselves? How do I know? Because Jesus doesn't answer mom. He answers them because little pipsqueaks are standing right behind mom. All right? And he says, do you guys even know what you're asking? Can you drink from the cup I am drinking? And at that point, you and I would hopefully say, you're right, I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Not these guys. Not the sons of thunder. They, uh, they say, they look Jesus right back in the eye and say, we do. <laughs> and I love Jesus. Jesus is modeling in that moment a generous life because he says, oh, you will, but it is not yet time for you to know. Isn't God gracious to you? How many times have you not lived the generous life that Jesus has called you to live? You see, when the rubber meets the road in this passage, it's the golden rule, which is just a few verses earlier if you have your Bible out. Where he says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. How's that going for you? 
See, that's another one of those things where we know the right answer. But when you wake up on Tuesday, man, that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Because here's what Jesus is asking. If you want people to love you, you have to love them first. You have to love them first. You want people to speak highly of you? Walk into work tomorrow and speak highly of them. Think about Gideon. We just studied the story of Judges. God comes to Gideon and says, You mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, <laughs> I am the smallest person in the smallest family in the smallest tribe in the smallest country who doesn't have any land to speak of. And God says what? I will be with you. It's amazing. You want people to give to you, give to them first. All without expecting, expecting anything in return. So let's get real. You and I can't do that. We can't do that. We just can't do it. So what's the secret? And I want to say as proudly and as cliche as I possibly can, Jesus. That's a great spot to say amen. Why? Why is this fundamentally important to how you live your life tomorrow morning? I want you to think through some incredible things with me because Jesus is the great giver. You should write that down. Jesus is the great giver. Why can God ask you to give? Because Jesus has given. Jesus is the great giver. Let me walk you through that just a little bit. The true judge didn't condemn but gave. What did he give? He gave his life. The one who knows all gave his word to the one who knows nothing. The one with no beam and no speck graciously gives us help in our time of need. The one who lived perfectly gave his life willingly for you who didn't live perfectly so that you could have freedom from your sin and the repercussions of it. One theologian said it this way, and I think it's a brilliant paragraph. Here's what he said. He said, The kingdom that Jesus preached and lived was all about a glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Think about the best thing you can do for the worst person and go ahead and do it. Think about what you'd like someone to do for you and instead do it for them. It's the kingdom of God in a nutshell. Because of what Jesus did for you, you can do for others expecting nothing in return. These instructions that Jesus gives us have life bursting out of them. You want to solve racism? Go befriend somebody that doesn't look like you. You see, the concept of being colorblind is, is wrong because we assume that God wanted everybody one color. And he didn't. It's the creativity and beauty of God that created everybody in his own image with a unique gift and a unique look. And he is the master creator. And he does not make mistakes. So you want to solve racism? Go be a friend. Have a relationship with somebody. You want people to like you? 
go like people. Just be nice to people. It's amazing. You know, start start the start the uh, waving at people trend again. We're doing other kind of waves these days. Will you irrationally throw away the norm and do something completely absurd? It's completely absurd to give generously to church, but also to the people around you. But what if the next time you wanted coffee, you thought about somebody at work and you just took them a coffee without them asking? What if the next time you wanted to sit down for dinner, you found somebody who maybe couldn't provide themselves a dinner and took them to dinner? And you can just go on and on and on. If, if you're feeling depressed today, why don't you write somebody a letter of encouragement with your hand and a pen and a piece of paper? Because it will actually mean something. Not just voice to text. Because that's cheating. You don't have to work for it. And I'll know. Generous. It's so simple. But yet so profoundly difficult because you and I are in the way. To live a radically Christ-centered life in this climate in the United States of America will call you to live a radically generous life. How can I even do that? Greater love has no man than this than he laid on his life for his friend. In Christ, you have everything you need. And because of that, you can give freely to others expecting nothing in return because you fundamentally have it all and you're a steward of what God's given you to bless the world because that's what God told Abraham. He said, in you I will bless all nations of